Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our guest, David Spungen, a two-time Emmy Award-winning producer-editor with four nominations. He established Creative Scenarios, LTD, to market his production and packaging skills to the multimedia marketplace. His clients include the CBS, ABC, and NBC networks, multiple cable channels, and independent feature films. David Spungen has worked on 48 Hours, Grammy Specials, Sunday Morning, Breaking News and Special Reports, 2020, and The Evening News. David designed a course for NYU's Broadcast Journalism Department on the art of visual storytelling and has been sharing editing techniques and insights with grad students for more than a decade. And Carol, I understand that David is a donor to your Roy Dean Film Grant. Yes, Claire, because David is also a very accomplished trailer editor. So thank you, David, for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so impressed with all that I've read about and seen so far from from the heart productions what it's doing i only wish you guys were around when i was a young budding filmmaker thank you that's exactly what i want to hear because it is all about the filmmaker and that's exactly what we want you to feel when you go to our website now uh, we want to learn more about you and and uh, also learn about trailers and all the many things that you do so let's learn what happened after you graduated with a master's degree in telecommunications. Did you know at that time that you wanted to become a producer, editor, program packager? Well, I think it would be safe to say that I definitely knew that I wanted to be a producer, but the notion that editing and visual storytelling would become such a passion for me, it, it, it was not clear, and I'm actually glad for that because – what wound up happening was that the first jobs that I got in the television industry, first I was a, a network cameraman for ABC, and then I later went on to be a sports producer, and then I became a entrepreneur staging events. But it was all centered on visual things, and by doing other things, I really felt that it gave me a, a better background to to understand the nuts and bolts of what goes into a production of visual storytelling. So, in a in a weird way, by doing other things, it helped me understand this craft better once I got into it. Absolutely, I would I could understand that. So, but you use the term um, producer editor, and could you tell me what's the difference between the function of an editor versus a producer editor? Well, you know, I think it's a fine line. Uh, Basically, I feel that an editor's obligation when you're just wearing that hat is to use all the tools in your media paint box, is what I call it, you know, to use your video, the stills, the music, the headlines, special effects, and just so that you are able to paint the picture that the producer who has gone out to create the concept has in mind. 
But what I found of when you're wearing both hats to be a producer and an editor, it's a little bit different. A senior producer once told me that pressure is a blank piece of paper. And that was because the feeling was that a producer starts with a blank piece of paper, a blank idea almost. And then, or not a blank idea, but then they take their ideas and must commit them to paper, write a script, and that's where you begin to form the idea. Now, what I think that a producer editor must do is to be able to both write, to be able to go out on the shoots, to, to conduct interviews, to understand you know, the B-roll that's being shot. And then what I do when I'm wearing both hats is I'll have an idea of what the final product might become. But I try to stay away from that trap, which is often a, a case when you go out, you think you have one story, and you go and you shoot it. But the truth is, is that you often or one often comes back with, in fact, a different story. And you have to make certain that you don't allow the story that you think you wanted to conflict with the story that you really have. So that's when I really spend the time to go and I try to screen everything that I've shot or everything that has been shot to make certain that I'm telling that story and not the one that was in my mind. I tell my students when, I, when I'm uh, teaching at NYU that the first job is to get married to your material so you just really, really know what, you're, what you have to work with. Well, this is true. I hear so many filmmakers that uh, start out to make one film and end up with another. And uh, quite often when they are writing the proposal is when I'm working with them. And they, they say to me, but I don't know what, I'm not sure what the story is until I start shooting. And I tell them it's the chicken and egg concept. You, you've got to get a grant, so you have to tell us what you think is going to happen. But when something better happens, you have to go with that. So you, you have to be very flexible, don't you, David? Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, we're, we're talking the same language because it's, you know, it's so often that you sit around and you think of the wonderful idea and, and you go out to do it, and that it just sometimes doesn't happen. And you, you must be true to what the visuals are bringing back with you and tell the story in the best way that you possibly can then. Well, you're saying when you're on a shoot as um, uh, working as both the editor and the producer that uh, you you pay attention uh, with, to what's being shot for the B-roll and what questions are answered, and uh, so uh, and you can you have input? Do you can you tell the cameraman that these would make good B-roll shots or that would look good over there? Uh, do you give advice in that area? Well, I absolutely do, and I'm not sure if it's uh, because of the experience that I had as a cameraman, uh, and I feel that oftentimes I'm able to, to relate to the camera operators uh, from that standpoint. But I've also found that most operators want to make sure that the producer is satisfied. And what I've learned going out on the road wearing both hats is that they actually are more interested in what an editor has to say because they know that the editor is the last stop of the footage. And they know that, you know, if they're being given grief, it's because the, the editor is not finding the shots that, you know, it's like you couldn't have panned right another two feet. You didn't see that in the background. 
And so I've, I've found that most operators are, you know, not only uh, will allow me to speak with them, but when it's through, it's or when they think they're done, the last question they're asking is, was there anything I missed? Is there something else you need? And uh, and so, yeah, there's there's no... I have never found a problem with the camera operators, and and if there were, then you don't work with them again. Right, right. Well, so I know sometimes a good friend of mine is a French uh, producer, director, and he always uh, filmed his own shots. Mm-hmm. He was the operator. On the no, camera. I, that you find often. In fact, when you go through and you're looking for job listings, you'll see many, many job listings that are. Producer slash editor slash shooter slash writer. Everyone is, you know, looking for that all-in-one type person because technology has made that possible, and you know, and and young people growing up now have are, are no longer just pigeonholed into doing one thing. I think that schools are encouraging people and and various training to learn all sides of the industry so that you can wear every hat if if necessary. Yes. Well, he swore by it. He even had an earplug so that he could make sure that the sound was right. So he right. knew that it was what he wanted as a director. And uh, I always thought that, well, that's take. I don't think that would be possible under a union shoot over here. But but the point is, the more you know, the better you can produce a film, in my opinion. No, you're 100% correct. I once uh, taught a course called Video Tech Theory. And I didn't even quite understand what it was. And then really it broke down to if you can break down the elements that are required to make good video happen and good audio happen and understand lighting and understand framing and understand pacing and those kinds of things, the more that you understand about the technology, the better producer you'll be or director you'll be or editor you'll be or camera operator or, you know, all elements. But it is important, you know, especially in today's marketplace, which is full of people that are trying to make a mark. I mean, I don't have to tell you the outlets that are available to young filmmakers more than ever before. When you and I were young, there were perhaps those three basic outlets when in the television industry. Now there are hundreds and hundreds and it's like I tell my students often, if you have the passion and can make yourself be good at it, that's what's going to separate you from the pack. That's what's going to allow you to become successful in the industry. Absolutely. There was someone speaking the other day saying that there were 400 scripted shows being shot this year. That's amazing. That's a lot of product. That is a lot of product. But there are a lot of outlets as well. Yes, and Amazon has become such a great place for product. I I find that really great. But all right, so I wish you could help me here. Let's trace the evolution from being a successful editor who specialized in the TV news magazine genre to a producer editor with an expertise in packaging trailers and sizzle reels for documentary and film projects. Well, in my first few years of editing for TV news magazines, I was mostly cutting pieces that were perhaps, you know, 8 minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes in length. And there would be individual pods, individual segments that were self, 
contained and would just be part of a show. You know, maybe a story is about education and then another story is about something else. But when I came to 48 Hours, where uh, I've been a permalance employee for about the last uh, 14 years, uh, the executive producer, who is a a legend in our industry, Susan Zarinsky, had an idea about changing our show. And it was actually born out of the fact that the show was getting close to being canceled. And she appealed to the network that she wanted to change the format so that we would focus on one-hour programs. And they mostly became murder mysteries. Along that, she also made the decision that it would be a great idea to start these broadcasts without the correspondent's involvement. And so what that meant, if you were assigned to do what we call the Act One, was that one had to go in and really understand the story, understand the moment of the crime, understand the location, understand who the central characters were. And along what wound up happening was something that I've seen you quote about a good trailer. Bring them into the tent, centralize them with what the story is, and leave them wanting more. And that's essentially what the what started to happen. And over the years, what we now do at 48 Hours, when those Act 1s are ready, about three days or four days before the broadcast, we post them online and we call them sneak peeks, which essentially is the same thing. It's a trailer that's not giving the story away, but telling everything about what the elements are and you know, showing you the best pictures and the best sound to try to come away with, you know, when, once they go to that commercial, it's like, I am coming back for more. And that's always been the goal. And so it's thanks to Susan Zarinsky's idea about, first of all, just doing one-hour documentaries week to week to week, and then coming up with this idea of let's make the act one be about the moment of what the story is really all about. And so that wound up translating as I started to do some more side projects and more independent work. I realized that as I approached things, when people would come to me and ask to, you know, I need a trailer for something, well, you know, everyone's knee-jerk reaction when they hear the word trailer is what they see in a film, you know, when they're waiting to see the films, these 30 seconds or 45 seconds of stuff, and they're just quick pops of, of sound, but they're not really telling you what the movie is is all about these things that we created were you know when we when the decision was made to make them be say three or four minutes in length that really became the challenge of dissecting all the information that you had available to you and coming up with the best material that would bring an audience in and make them understand the relevance of the story so well, when you say dissecting the material, are you talking about the script or what was shot? I'm talking about what was shot and, and to really be listening to what was said in the interviews. And again, going back to what we had talked about early, not so much what you thought would be said, but what was really said and what the, the subject matter is really trying to convey to you during an interview and to be true to the story, to be true to that core of the story. Well, that is so important document and documentary filmmaking. So this is 
it, it was actually training you for what you're doing now, which is documentary trailer. That's editing. correct. And Incredible. I had no idea at the time uh, until all of a sudden I turned around after, you know, I was getting some very positive results from the work that I was doing. And I said, you know, geez, it's, it's all because I do these act ones. And, and it's really trained me to have the discipline to tell just enough, but not too much, to tease and, and, and to the audience and to find the types of visuals that are really, you know, going to bring the audience in, get them into the tent. That's our favorite expression around here, and keep them in the tent. Absolutely. That's what we need uh, to keep our audience with us while we're making the film so that they are there to come to your screening, buy your download, help uh, help with any other uh, products that you're selling, but just to be part of your community behind the film. And that's actually how I met you was when I saw the trailer, the brilliant trailer you did, uh, Clearing Larry Floyd. Um, you were uh, did that for Gary Donatelli. And uh, I think that is such a, uh, an incredible trailer because of the pacing. There's something about... Uh, it's like a book where you just can't wait to turn the page, turn the page, and you and you. There's so much energy in there and tension that I found myself holding my breath, like I do sometimes in a movie when when there's a lot of uh, energy in a scene and tension. So you put the tension in the trailer. Um, for people who want to see that, it is at clearinglarryloyd.org. Or it's on David's website at creativescenarios.com. That's right. So tell me, and so you, uh, I guess that Gary is a friend of yours, and he asked you for some help, or how did this happen to make well, it? you know, Gary and I had a, have a wonderful relationship. We met in college. We have uh, yin and yanged with each other, you know, being there for one another at various times in our careers. And uh, Gary had come on to this story about clearing Larry Floyd and had approached me about it. And I was like, yeah, 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 sounds interesting, sounds interesting. And he had the fortitude to uh, really understand uh, the story, which happens to be about a, a young man who was uh, put in prison and actually put in prison by his father, the sheriff, for a crime that he claims he didn't commit. We're still trying to get that proven, uh, but it seems likely that he didn't commit, and served more than 25 years in prison. And he went out on his own because he had the belief in the story after meeting Larry and went out, and and this is a, a, a good lesson for getting started on a trailer. He went out, he sat with the principal person, which was Larry Floyd. He interviewed his family members because he had multiple brothers and sisters, interviewed his mother, and got to try to get to the core of what the story was about. And it's interesting because what Gary did is what all filmmakers need to, to come back to when they're trying to figure out, how do I put a trailer together? You need to think about what is it that attracted you to this story? in the first place. Why did you want to tell this story? What is it? Was it the character? Was it the, the, the craziness of the mission? Was it, you know, whatever it might be, that's what you need to try to translate and get into the story. And so 
by just coming back with the elements of what had happened to Larry Floyd, then it was a matter of screening those interviews and really understanding the material. Then when it was time to put the trailer together, you know, there felt like there were a couple of holes here and there to, in terms of what needed to be filled in. We did do some reenactments to help illustrate the story that Larry was telling. And then Gary also went out and got some other interviews with people, uh, such as Brian Stevenson and, and, and other uh, uh, people that were involved with the actual um, storyline that, that went out. And we only used uh, one or two sound bites from other people because the central character in this is Larry Floyd who happens to be an incredibly telegenic person. He just jumps off the camera at you. And so that's something else that you realize when you're screening the material. What is jumping out at you? And then grab that material and use it to the best that you can. The other thing wow. that's important when you're doing a trailer like that is – you not only need to deal with what we call the, what I call it 48 hours, we call it the moment of the crime, but you need to establish a location. Uh, I like to work with music a lot to also establish the mood. And you, one would see if you look at the Clearing Larry Floyd trailer that, you know, we start with, it takes place in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, so we don't pull any punches. Right away, the first thing you see is a scene set, nice B-roll with sunlight as it tilts down on what is Larry's, uh, original home, and we also put a little uh, font there that says Hattiesburg, Mississippi, so that the viewer knows immediately, they immediately know, they don't have to guess where they are, they know where they are. So that gets the mind into thinking, okay, we're in the South, I'm hearing this sort of harmonica kind of music, I get a feel right away for where I'm about to head. And then you begin to integrate the sound so that you can, you know, tell the story in, in the best possible way. Well, yes, sound plays a major part because I can feel, uh, I can feel that the difference between the acts and and it was as if it was building uh, the first act. Okay, I got this, I got that, and then there was more, and then there was more, and it was like, wait a minute, that's it. That's all you're going to get. That was the end. No, and and I agree. The sound, you know, sound is such an overlooked commodity. I know it's a a problem I often have when I'm working with some students, that the sound is sort of their last element that they worry about. And yet when you watch something, if the sound isn't smooth, if it isn't even, it's like you feel that there's an edit there. You feel that there's something that's not natural. If the sound is smooth, then everything for the viewer becomes seamless. You don't you don't think about what what did I just hear? What what was such so abrupt in 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 this motion? And uh, it's really a critical critical element. And I love working with music to help both uh, uh, illustrate a moment and also to help make transitions. Because transitions, as you were just pointing out, you thought you were done with the one part, and then all of a sudden there was something else that came along. And usually along the way, there's some sort of a music or some sort of a audio uh, moment that helps to hold your hand as you're going to that next transition. And it's really, I find, to be you know one of the, the best uses of, of making transitions in storytelling. And in a trailer... 
that needs to be brief and to the point, it's really quite critical. Yes, it is. And color. I think color correction is a key element here. Well, right. It it has to do similarly, as I was talking about, you don't want to have bad audio edits because you hear them, you feel them. And the same thing happens with, as you were saying, with color correction. You don't want to see a, a yellow uh, uh, a yellow sky when you know it's supposed to be blue. You don't want to see things that are out of the ordinary unless you're trying to make a statement with them, and then that's also a part of color correction, to change the color, to change the mood, because it is a tool in the paint box. There, there was once a time I was working on a story where uh, we had rented a helicopter because we were trying to demonstrate uh, a story where there was a drive-by shooting. So we were actually in the air. Uh, we had a recreation where the car was quite similar. And in the opening line that we knew we were going to be using had to do with, it's a bright, sunshiny day. Well, wouldn't you know, the weather forecast that day were beautiful. <laughs> we get to the helicopter, and as we're going up in the helicopter, the rain clouds start coming in. And, and you know, I knew I had a problem. Now, we still went and shot. But when I came back, I decided that, you know, I wasn't going to ignore the problem. I was going to embrace it. And so I took video that wasn't actually telling the story, and I even texturized it more. I put an effect on it so that it was either grainy, maybe put it into black and white, maybe added a little different coloring here and there, because we were going back in time as we were trying to tell the story. And I used the justification that uh, when you go back into the Wayback Machine, colors aren't necessarily normal. They might be diffused or they might be a little bit different. And it wound up working out quite well. So I was able to work with a rainy day and make it be sunshiny. It didn't matter any longer is my point because it became intriguing and visually pleasing enough so that you would continue to watch. So it fit the story. That's well done, David. Well, um, your students must love you at New York University. I know you've mm -hmm. been an adjunct, adjunct professor there for more than 10 years, and I'd like to know how that's impacted your overall work and specifically towards the art of trailer creating and sizzle reels. Well, the best thing that it's done is that it forces me to stay current. You know, when you're going to deal with young minds, uh, and, and, and pretend to teach them, you need to be current. But the best part uh, on my part is that I, I get to learn from the students as well. I get to learn, you know, what they think filmmaking is about and, and how they're telling stories. But in the end, uh, you know, I'm able to share real-life experience. And all these students that I'm working with at uh, NYU's broadcast journalism department, when I'm working with them, they're also – working on their documentaries that are essentially their thesis for their graduate degree. So what we do there is that we work with their material, first with, you know, basic storytelling lessons about, you know, how you can make audio and video work for you, many of the things that we've been discussing today. But the best part is that I'm then able to work with them with their material. Their final assignment is to create a trailer that is being used for the film festival where all their work is being shown. So that was something that began to not only 
helped me refine and, and actually understand what I had explained earlier about how the work that I had done previously sort of focused me into becoming a trailer editor. But to work with them and see all the variety of kinds of materials that they're working with and to be able to then come up with ways that they can make them be effective trailers. So it, it has expanded my universe of visual storytelling and uh, given me the opportunity of working with them and, and a lot of exchange of ideas. And, and it's, a very, uh, uh, it's a very cooperative effort, and it works out very well. Yes, well, it must be wonderful to have all that experience to share with uh, students because they've got the concept and and they have the passion and the dedication. So it's just like feeding them with the uh, educational part that they really need to be able to put their vision on the screen. That's very rewarding for you. Well, and I also have to say, since meeting you and, and speaking to you and, and seeing what From the Heart is, Productions is all about, I'm really looking forward, uh, when my first class is next week, I'm really looking forward to introducing the students to what you do because I think that, you know, one thing that I'm always hearing about are issues that I see that you deal with all the time, rights issues, uh, fundraising, which is obviously such a critical, critical, critical element for a young filmmaker. And I'm looking forward to exposing them to what you do and, and, and seeing how that might work out. Oh, thank you. Well, that's greatly appreciated. Um, yes, funding is the most important thing that I try to teach my filmmakers is that they have so much talent. They are so creative. If they would just look at fundraising as an art form, and take all that talent and creativity and put it over in the raising the money side, they would be all right. But they get they get really worried and fearful and they become shy and whatever. But that doesn't work because filmmaking is really entrepreneurship. And until you get that mindset, uh, when you get that mindset, you're in much better shape. Uh, well, you know, I, I I really like hearing what you said there because it reminds me of something else that I try to tell young filmmakers, to be careful that you don't get yourself inside of a bubble, that you're only seeing the one focus of the film. Because as you just described, there are so many other elements, fundraising being perhaps the most important part of it, but so many other elements to become successful that you have to be able to remove yourself sometimes from that bubble where you're only, you know, talking to the people that, you know, know about your project, and of course they're going to understand it. You need to be able to step away so that you can try to stay focused on the bigger picture. Yes, quite right. There's so much to do, and nowadays part of what filmmakers have to do is the social networking and marketing, and then sometimes they have to do their own distribution. And I'll say to you that, in my opinion, the most critical piece of foundation for fundraising is the trailer. Well, you know, I think that when you create the, the idea of creating a trailer, it's almost the equivalent of what Cliff Notes does for a book, where you're, you know, you want to have the complete storyline, 
but still leave enough so that the readers want to come back, and in this case, obviously, the viewers, will want to come back for more. And, and, and it's just a, a really important element to, to look at that way, that, you know, uh, what is Cliff, why do, you know, some people just write their book reports from the Cliff Notes. But the idea of Cliff Notes, obviously, is to give the core but not give the story away so that people would want to come back for more. You know, when I first started to, to work on some of these things, I used to look at a, a trailer almost like uh, an album cover when a musician, although there aren't albums anymore, but I think everybody knows what an album cover is, so that when a musician is putting out an album, the cover somehow needs to attract that viewer or the listener to be interesting enough to, you know, I want to get inside that. I want to listen to it. And, and that's sort of another way of looking at what a trailer could do. It's a sales tool. Yes. Brilliant sales tool. Very, very much. Well, uh, tell us what is your mindset when you start to develop a trailer sizzle reel? Well, you know, I think that the, the mindset is, like I was saying before, remember why you, the producer, why did you want to tell this story in the first place? You always need to keep that close to yourself. But, you know, there's a few things that you need to, to, to have a feel for. Who do you think your audience is? Who do you want this to appeal? So you need to keep that in mind. You need to understand your message. You need to understand the time limits that you have to work within, meaning, and I'm not talking about the amount of time to, to edit it, which of course is something, but the amount of time, the length of what the trailer needs to be because there's nothing worse than somebody that you're appealing for funding that is being asked to watch something that, oh, my God, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, maybe that's just too much. You need to be able to deliver your message or the message of the documentary or the film uh, succinctly and, and, it, and to do it that way. Um, but when, I, when I'm working with a trailer, the elements that I'm looking for to get started is first I'm always looking for what feels like the most dynamic visuals. Sometimes it's a sunset. Sometimes it's, it's a wide shot. But you need to really be able to go through and look at the B-roll that has been shot to get a feel for what is the best use of the B-roll. But the other thing, as I said, is it's the dogged determinedness to get into those interviews to really find the best sound and to do it in the, in the easiest possible way so that it, that it falls together. I'm not sure if I've actually answered that question, but it's, it is sort of the mindset. I mean, the, I keep getting back to you need to go back to the root of the story. Uh, uh, what, what was it that made you want to tell and, and do this documentary? And um, that, you know, that's the one way, uh, and you're looking for those pictures that are actually worth a thousand words. Like, as an example, if you're doing a, a, a documentary that has to do with the President of the United States, guess what your opening shot should be? It should be a shot of the White House, because immediately that picture conveys a thousand words. You may not know it's a story specifically about the President, but you know it's going to have something to do with the president. So it helps condition the viewer's mind immediately and focus them to come along on your journey with you. And Absolutely. As I, right. 
you've got to give us clues here and there. I'm a big murder mystery fan, <laughs> right. so I look at everything as clues. That's but the really other important. thing that I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the other thing that I always look for that I feel is some of the best material for a trailer is if you can establish what I call the yin and the yang, uh, the antagonist and the protagonist, the defense versus the prosecution. Because when you're able to do that, not only are you able to start intercutting in the editing that you're doing, which is always a very interesting element and, and creating tension. But, you know, when you have the good guy versus the bad guy, there's going to be tension. There's going to be a natural tension. So I always am looking for a way to play one character off another because it helps to tell both sides of the story. And usually there are two sides to a story, no matter what your mission is. Exactly, and this is what we rely on documentarians to do because I think they're the last vestige of true and honest reporting. Uh, I want to see both sides of the story so I can make my own decisions rather than just hear on the news what they think. Uh, I much rather preferred a documentary. And so this is what I look, I trust my documentarians to do that for me, to show me both sides. So you're absolutely right. Um, so, well, let's get into, um, first of all, tell me how people can reach you for your for consultations, because you are giving consultations now. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, I'm going, you can reach me at either uh, by my email, which is daspungen at gmail.com. That's probably the best way to reach me. Uh, you can feel free to visit my website to also see some of the work that I've done. Uh, you'll see that you know I have a section that's called trailers and sizzle reels because you know, as I explained, that's what we do with our network broadcast, which is we create that first act, which is basically a trailer. Uh, you know, I found when I first heard the word sizzle reel many years ago, I was like, is that not just something that some advertising agency came up with that phrase? And I think that is how it started. But I think what it actually does do is. To me, a sizzle reel and trailer, the terms can be used interchangeably. However, I think that most people, when they hear the word trailer, they think of the kind of trailer that they see in a movie. Uh, a sizzle reel, to me, is meant to go to uh, a, a prospective uh, donor, a prospective uh, money person, because they're trying to sizzle you enough or sizzle the story enough so that you want to invest into it and become part of it. And so, you know, I always laugh at when I hear the word. In fact, when Gary first talked to me about, oh, we need for you to do a sizzle reel, I said, don't do it. I hate that phrase. But uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's all about the same thing. Yes, it is. It is. It's engaging an audience, attaching community to your film. Well, you mentioned something about the packaging uh, when you were talking about uh, music and the packaging that we used to have for our music. But tell us about the packaging of a trailer reel. Yeah, that really is an art form. Explain that to us. Well, you know, the, the packaging of a trailer is, you know, really, once again, knowing your audience and who you're trying to appeal to. And when you put the, the right trailer together, it's it's all a matter of trying to 
just get that story out in the most seamless possible way. You know, one thing I've started to do is a little bit of an experiment. I've worked on something that we call electronic press kits. Uh, electronic press kits are usually done for a commercial broadcast or a commercial movie, and it's your typical behind-the-scenes thing. You're getting those interviews with the director. You're getting interviews with actors about playing that character. Sometimes, if it's a story about a real-life person, you talk to that real-life person about what it was like to see you know, your, your life put on the screen. But what I'm trying to experiment a little bit with now is to blend that concept into a trailer because it's also part of the thing that I see from a packaging standpoint uh, that you might be a bit more useful like on an Indiegogo type of thing where you're not only trying to sizzle people with the story, but you're also trying to let them know how hard it is for you to get this story out there and what you can do to help. And I think that when you go behind the scenes a little bit and try to do interviews that aren't necessarily specifically from a documentary, but instead the making of the documentary, I think that that's another way to pull people into it because I think that nowadays uh, a lot to do with social media, that people like to have a feel that they really know what's going on behind the scenes, that they really get an understanding of what it takes to, to put something out and, in fact, can begin to empathize with the producer, empathize with the characters, and even draw them more into it. And I know that's something that Gary Donatelli is trying to do a little bit more with Larry Floyd, where he's just come back uh, from a big shoot where, you know, the result is going to be a big social media campaign, a lot of behind-the-scenes kind of activity, uh, which is the goal being to get people more involved. I think the, the, the phenomena of social media is just we're at the tip of the iceberg about this. I know that when I work with the networks, they're like trying to figure out how can we get all these eyeballs that are going to social media, how can we get them to go to our piece of the social media? So there's a constant struggle to try to package things and make them intriguing enough um, for all the competition it is for those eyeballs. And I think that beginning to integrate behind the scenes and, and therefore it makes the appeals that a filmmaker will be making for funding feel a little more organic and not such a, please give me money, I want to make my film. But instead, right. you know, it, it, it all becomes a one-type feel so that anybody that does get involved and does invest in it feels like they're really knowing what they're doing, not just about the story, but about the people that are behind the story and making the story and want to become part of the team. Yes, they do. They want to be. This is what we say. I advise filmmakers on their website to say, join my tribe or join my community. Uh, that's much more appealing than uh, uh, join my newsletter and we'll send right. you something every month or so. No, nobody wants a newsletter anymore, but get involved with the film and be part of it. Yes. And uh, I think that um, the YouTube, for setting your own YouTube account, uploading short uh, pieces, two minutes, three minutes max, 
uh, while you're in the production of making the film, it's another mm-hmm. lovely way to drive people to your website where right. you can gain more names for your database because that's where the money is. It's in the names of the people who are following you. Right. So that means even more edits, more and more edits that you need. Um now, let me ask you this. What, at what stage in production should people come to you when they want a trailer made? Well, I mean, I think it's a twofold thing. If you're looking for advice on what do you think I should do to go out and get my elements, uh, you know, that would be before any shooting is done so that there can be at least my focus on that would be to try to help people maximize their budget uh, in terms of what they're, you know, planning on going out to shoot, but to make sure that they don't get sidetracked on other elements. You know, unfortunately, oftentimes you have to go back and shoot to complete a story. And that's usually when people, I'm sure, are coming to you knowing, oh, I don't have enough money to go back and shoot. But I think if you know that going in, if you know that the overall budget you, that you don't have the overall budget to complete it, that you really need to be focused and, you know, go out and make the most out of your shooting time. And I think that that would be the first opportunity to counsel somebody. But if someone were interested in having me uh, cut a trailer, then you should at least be able to have come back with those suggestions that I would have given you in the first place. In other words, the central uh, interviews and and a, and a good amount of B-roll that has been shot, and also potentially to have a little flexibility to go out and maybe pick up shots or do some recreations. But the answer is pretty early in the process, unless you've got the big budget, where you don't really need to worry that you know you're 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 only going to shoot to get enough to see if I can justify going forward to do more, if you understand what I mean. Yes, I think the earlier the better. I think that's the most important thing is getting involved with your trailer editor so that uh, you get the tips and the and the knowledge that he has, and he or she will pull out of you truly what the story is. Uh, they have to. Then, and because what will usually happen, because it happens you know, all the time, is a producer will come to you uh, with a given idea, and then, you know, after some talking to and after an exchange of ideas, there's a collaborative effort that can oftentimes just produce new ideas or new ways of going about to achieve the same goal. So, you know, the, you know, the idea of coming early enough so that a collaboration can uh, be part of the beginning process as opposed to, boy, I wish I had talked to you beforehand. That's the only regret I have about uh, when I'm working with my NYU students is when I get when when they're in class with me, usually they've already shot 90% of their material, and you know, oftentimes it's just too bad we couldn't have figured out a way to make this work before you went out to shoot. But you know, the way that the the structure is, it's only that it's more important for me to be working with them while they're working on their documentary. Perhaps exactly. I was a full-time professor, then I, you know, I would change it and create a second course. But uh, it, it is important to try to get involved early. 
Right. Well, when people hire you, tell us how you began to create their trailer. Well, it's it's basically give me everything you've shot. Let me watch it. Let me go through it. You know, I understand what the story is that you think that you want to tell. That that becomes one element. But then give me a new opportunity to be a brand new eye looking at the material and here are my impressions of what's jumping out at me then together you sort of try to figure out what is the common ground what is working best for both of you and and you know it becomes a collaborative effort but my thing is as i said in the beginning i need to get married to the material you've got so that i understand what it is that there is to work with what holes might be able to get filled easily you know there are often times when we'll work with something that a simple newspaper headline might be the difference that you you know you didn't have. But if boy, if we had a newspaper headline to help bring in a point, uh, and 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 it's something you can do easily, cheaply, and 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 just get it done. So it's important to be able to work early to also understand what budget uh, you have to work with, so that everybody's living in the same realistic world and not a dream world. Exactly. Well said. Well, um, tell us what an EPK is, because it's getting really popular now, and how filmmakers use them. Well, that's what I had mentioned. The EPK does stand for Electronic Press Kits. And what uh, what I have found is I think it was the movie industry that really started it, which was very little way of, you know, they, they started to become what we would call a handout to a local station. So there's a big movie coming in. You want it to get promoted, but you don't necessarily just want to, here's another film clip, here's another film clip. They began to create these electronic press kits so that directors were being uh, interviewed and, and actors were being interviewed to give that behind-the-scenes feel and to allow it to be used for instead of the old standard press kit, which was just printed material, the story is about starring such and such and such and such, and giving that real behind-the-scenes feel. And I think the behind-the-scenes things are, are very popular and, and get a lot of play uh, and have gone much beyond just a handout to a local affiliate station that's starting to promote a film for you know the, the film industry. I think it's a little different for documentaries. Uh, I think because... They're not necessarily so commercial in, in in front. In other words, a commercial undertaking that's going to be getting an audience to just pay money to go in. And as a result, that's why I was talking about being able to still do it and integrate them into trailers. In other words, get that behind-the-scenes feel for things. So in other words, the same elements that go into the making of an electronic press kit would be the types of elements that a filmmaker can incorporate into a fundraising uh, concept so that it's, as we had discussed before, the idea of getting people completely involved and, and excited about the work that you're trying to do. Okay. And you make these for people, right? Yes. I, uh, the first one I got to do, which was actually very interesting, was for the television show called The Good Wife. And what had happened was that the network came to my boss at 48 Hours, Susan Zerinsky, and said, we have this new show coming out called The Good Wife. 
but the electronic press kit that we would like to put together, we would like to tie to real life experiences, which is, you know, and since we work at the news division there, that's why, you know, the idea was to work on that. So that electronic press kit integrated both filmed moments from The Good Wife and integrated them with real life similar moments like with uh, various politicians who had cheated on their wives. But we integrated that all together, and the goal was to try to make the good wife feel as real life as all of these real-life events were happening. And that was my first exposure to an electronic press kit, and it really opened my eyes to the world of behind the scenes and, and the various kinds of things that you can do with it. There's so much flexibility in the directions that you can go. And then there become so many flexible outlets the, you know, now with social media and, and placement of these kinds of things. So I, I think that you know, EPK has got a, a catchphrase name, becoming an electronic press kit as opposed to a written press kit, but I really think it's the opportunity for filmmakers of, at every level to document things visually. And let's face it, we are in a, in a visual world now. And with iPhones in everybody's hand and you know, constantly being watched. And I just think it's a wonderful opportunity to get so much more out to create buzz about the work that is being done. Absolutely agree with you. I think they're brilliant. Uh, and so it's time to close. I have to thank you very much for all this brilliant information. But give us your website and how we can reach you one more time, please. All right. Uh, my my email address is daspungen, it's D-A-S-P-U-N-G-E-N, at gmail.com. And my website is Creative Scenarios, that's one word, C R E A T I V E. S C E A N I R O S uh, dot com. And uh, that'll get you to me. Oh, fantastic, David. I really thank you very much. And uh, Claire, I appreciate what you did for the show. And David, I hope that when we have our class, our intentional filmmaking class, that you might give uh, talk to some of our filmmakers for us in one of the. Uh, classes that we have called Trailblazers. These are documentarians who are working on important projects. That'd be great. Carol, if I may, I'd like to um, ask you, uh, just for our listeners who may be interested, can you tell them how they can find out more information about these classes? Oh, from theheartproductions.com under um, mentoring and under intentional filmmaking class. Thank you, Claire. You're welcome. All right. David, right. you're well, just everyone. so talented. Thank you very much for the information. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. 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 Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. 
I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. <laughs>